information presented on For the People is provided as general legal information. The general legal information is intended to inform consumers, is not intended to substitute for specific legal advice as it relates to the listener's specific legal issue. Consumers are cautioned not to rely on the general legal information broadcast on For the People as legal advice. No attorney-client relationship is created, intended, or implied between the consumers of For the People and Deborah Rainey Esquire, the compassionate lawyer, or the law office of Deborah D. Rainey. Please consult with an attorney for your specific legal issue. We the people says the Constitution created for creating solutions. However, we the people lack the understanding. Legal terms and conditions sound written on another planet. Our rights we take for granted often sound in the way our chances because we don't really know the circumstances. I swear I can't stand it. Then we're so demanding. Quick to throw up a picket sign in the streets to exercise our freedom of speech when the situation could have been avoided from the start if we the people conquer basic knowledge of the law. So this is for the people. Law in plain language. Breaking it down for us in layman terms. Deb expressing her compassion and will for us to learn not for a check but to address how to win in these streets this show is for you this show is for me it's for the people I'm messing with the producer taking my time coming in. What's up? What's up? What's up? <laughs> oh, yeah. That really affected me. It must be Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Why? Because it's time for For the People, Law and Playing Language. Yes, sir. Um, what's my name? It's me, Deb Rainey, the compassionate lawyer, your host. Joining me in the studio, my For the People fam, as usual, Black, a.k.a. the Broke Poet. What's up, Black? What's up? Simply... Too many letters to add. The PhD candidate producer. Hey, producer. Is that going to get shorter and shorter for me? Probably. Oh, good. <laughs> so finally, I'll just be the producer. Special guest, returning family member, Yvette. What's up, Vet? Hey, everybody. Mira's in the studio. What's up, Mira? Hi, everybody. We have a Johnny come lately guest. He'll be here in a minute. John Dye Harrell. John Dye, if you're listening, what's up, dude? If you didn't know, you're listening to www.gtownradio.com. G-Town, the what? sound from Germantown. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to join in, check us out. Be a part of our moving on up. You can call us in the studio. How about? They can hit us up live at 215-609-4301. Or you can text in and we'll read your text on the air at 215-435-4099. You can hit us up on the Facebook page for the people law and playing language. Tweet us. Tweet us. FTP Law. Email for the people at com. Please remember if you call the studio, please communicate and participate through your phone. If you try to check yourself out through your stereo speakers, your computer speakers, you're going to sound a little retarded because there's a delay. And I'm not going to know what you're doing. You're not going to know what I'm doing. And we're going to talk about you and you're going to hang up. I'm just playing. But if you do call, please remember you got talk to uh, talk to us through your phone. Tonight's show is called Moving On Up Something. <laughs> Producer, a little help. We oh did goodness. the title but we both had a really long day and the sister got some cramps so well, well don't be blaming your your um the black tea i'm drinking it whoever that it ain't working next all right i got the title it's moving on up Return thank you of sentences getting a piece of the pie this 
these ain't the Jeffersons, but George and Weezy would be proud. Oh, that's such a cute title. I must have came up with yeah, it. Yeah, that's tight work. <laughs> nah, that's you ain't come work. up with that. You was out of it. What? You came up with so that? So tonight's title is do. Moving that's On what Up. What? Returning Citizens it was a joint effort. She lying. It was a joint effort. She oh, did man. the George and Weezy part. I she, did the Moving On Up part. That's what happened. So oh. tonight we're going to be hearing from um, Yvette, who, if you guys remember, is a part of our family. She was our photographer, our videographer. She went on a hiatus to finish her master's slash bachelor's degree. Um, Amira's here, who joined us a couple shows back. She may or may not want to add a piece of her um, voids to getting that piece of the pie. Y'all know all about Black and her four pies. Yeah, and I'm sure you recall John D. Harrell, who we first met him on our show entitled Through the Looking Glass, One Man's Journey. How do you remember these titles? Because I'm all that. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. If you are a first-time listener, this show is, is all about you and for you. Typically, we have legal questions sent in by our listeners. We answer them on the air and provide legal information for you. You can check out all of our past shows at www.forthepeople.podomatic.com or go to my website, DebraRainyLaw.com. Last week, if you checked out last week's show, it was a lot of fun. Good show. And I'm sitting here trying to remember. Oh, it was called Will I Need? W period, I period, L period, L period. (laughs) I need. And y'all got to listen to that podcast because Renee went on a Norris family rant rant like y'all ain't never heard. show. (laughs) You get to see another side of our producer, one that's not so groovy. We talked about a Will. um, Black provided us a definition which was actually pretty fabulous about a will we talked about what happens with your property if you die without a will we addressed a little bit about health care directives and power of attorney and i went on my little political jaunt and gave you little tidbits of my favorite parts of president obama's second inaugural speech so check out that podcast and all other podcasts by the by this is episode number 53 we balling. We are balling. Yeah. And if y'all didn't know, our um, in-house um, poetess is on the way up. She sold two more of her poems, so she is just about to blow up up in here. What is called? That's probably why up? she don't show up when she's supposed to. But I'll not... let that go. Oh man, I knew it was going to come out <laughs> at some point on the air. I knew it was going to be. It's cool. I deserve that. <laughs> so I got a question for our listening audience out there. <clears throat> we did a show, and it was called "When Is the Debt Paid." Renee found some wonderful graphics and stamped paid in full um, on the graphics for that show. That show was all about returning citizens and why it seems like no matter the fact that they went to jail, served their time, they get out, they're still being treated like they're still in custody and they still owe us something. And it's almost as if they have a hard time being reintegrated and accepted back into our society. So I anticipate that tonight's show will hit a little bit on that and Yvette's in a unique position because she's going to provide information about what she does for a living and her main reason for being at her job is she's a resource guru any resources you need in the county of Philadelphia and the surrounding counties I think that Yvette is a wonderful resource to have and her story is even more amazing and black works like a Jamaican so She's going to be able to offer some insight into (laughs) what it's like to try to go and get that piece of pie. And I know that y'all heard Black's poem last week when she talked about that. What was the name of that poem? That was amazing. Job job interview. 
give them the first three minutes of what you said in that poem. That was really, really amazing. First if you haven't minutes. heard it, not the first three, the first three lines. First three lines? Uh, I'm just messing with her. Tell, first, tell, tell the listeners what the uh, motivation was for that speech. That was right. a powerful, powerful speech. The, the poem basically was the, the, the hardest thing to, about being a returning citizen is just getting turned down time after time while you're looking for a job. And it's always for the same reason. You can fit every, you can meet every other criteria, but the criminal background check is just the one thing we don't look forward to. So I basically wrote that piece just to try and keep us encouraged to say, you know what? I don't care about the criminal background check. When they bring it up, I'm going to find a way to get past it and I'm going to keep pushing until I win. And that's what we have to do. That's the only way we'll be successful. And sometime before the first or second break, I'm going to ask Black to hit us again with that piece. It was a fabulous piece. This question goes out to Yvette. Yvette, you were fortunate in that your background doesn't involve any felony convictions. Is that correct? That's correct. So that puts you in a little bit of a different boat than those folks that have those felony convictions. But it doesn't, it didn't deter or it didn't stop employers from thumbing their nose at you when they did your background check. Is that right? And that is correct. So tell the listeners a little bit about your start and your, we're not getting to your pie yet, but a little bit about your start. Where did your criminality start? How did you get involved in criminality? Um, Basically it was drugs. Okay. And when you say drugs, were you a drug dealer, a drug user, or both? I was a drug user for 27 years. Wow. One thing led to another. Things just escalated. One after another, and and people talk about your life spiraling out, spiraling out of control, and basically that's what ha- that's what happened to me. And ladies and gentlemen, when you first met Yvette, Yvette and heard her story back on our episode called "This Ain't No Sugar and Spice, It Ain't Nothing Nice," it was a sort of overview of the Pennsylvania Controlled Substances Act, and that's when we first met the the Yvette that tried to be all shy and stuff, and we had to shove the mic in her phone, <laughs> microphone in her face. <laughs> So Yvette was telling us that she spent 27 years in that fog of drug addiction. Did the fear of, in the consequence of going to jail, have any um, deterrence effect on you at all in the initial years of your addiction, Yvette? I'm going to be really honest. I didn't even think about it. And 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 I'm going to say just say that I've been incarcerated multiple times. Um, and because of the addiction, it didn't matter. Hmm. It didn't matter. Hmm. If anybody out there knows someone or is a returning citizen and what we're saying is touching you and you feel like you want to offer your experience or some words of encouragement, or if you have a question or a concern for someone you know that's about to be a returning citizen, you can hit us up at Two one five six zero nine four three zero one, or you can text in at two one five four three five four zero nine nine. You know, I, I just want to add. I was watching, um, I don't know, CNN or one of the news channels. It was one of the background this evening, and I don't know what city it was in because I kind of caught that last of a clip. But it was a gentleman who did a film on returning citizens, and he was just saying how hard it was for him. And whatever state he was in, he got a grant from that prison system to make this film. And it documented three or four folks who kind of what they went through or what they're going through or how hard the hurdles were. And the point was to say what they paid their debt to society. Um, Either you're going to keep building prisons and put them back in there or they're going to hit somebody in the head or they're just going to be a burden on the welfare system or whatever. But we need to relook at how we view 
returning citizens and how we receive them? I think before we even go there, we need to figure out and define at what point do they stop being convicts and become returning citizens? Practically speaking, in the real world, you get, you're no longer a con. Well, they didn't actually use the word returning citizen. They used con. Sure, because returning citizen is a relatively new word. It's, it's been um, reborn, recreated, and I think that Thomas Ford and the folks that he works with are the ones who are sort of starting this push. If you guys recall, Thomas Ford, who is the executive director of Exodus, which is an organization for about and for returning citizens, he and some of the groups that he belongs to, some of his sister and brother groups, have been working on, and I'm not sure where they're at in the process, a returning citizens' bill of rights. And as you know, a bill of rights is something that guarantees us individuals as humans certain basic and inalienable human rights. And they, these guys, Thomas Ford and his folks, went so far to say these are things that specifically um, apply to returning citizens. It's an episode actually on the podcast, and it's called Bill of Rights for Returning Citizens. It's pretty powerful. And I think Indeed. if you go to the For the People page, Renee actually put a link to his Bill of Rights for Returning Citizens. If it's no longer there, just put it in your browser, Thomas Ford, Returning Citizens, Bill of Rights. Exodus. It'll pop up and it'll give you an idea an opportunity to look at it and see if it's something you think about. During that episode, I remember feeling some kind of way about it. Part of me said, look, we got rules and regulations and laws and things that we all agree. It's sort of an unspoken word. To live in our society, our free society, we decide we're either going to follow the rules or we're not. And if we're not going to follow the rules, we're going to accept the consequences of our decision not to follow the rules for whatever reason. Our addictions, our home lives, whatever. But there has to be a point that, like our last show said, or a couple shows ago, when's my debt paid? Exactly. I think, though, there are going to be those skeptics out there, the conservatives that say, you know what? Someone who's inclined toward criminality, it doesn't matter when they get out because all they're going to do is do it all over again. I would like to know if there's people out there that do the numbers for recidivism. I know in what I do, the older you get, they say the chances of you recidivizing or committing crimes again lessens. But there, I don't, I don't know what kind of study there's been of those people within, let's say, that twenty to forty year age group that get those little small hits, one and a half to three upstate, two to four upstate. You spent three years in, so you already get out after eight months going back upstate. I don't know what the rate of recidivism is for them, and I think once folks get their brain wrapped around what recidivism is, and and the fact that it's not as high as the media likes to make us think, maybe people's whole minds will change as it relates to returning citizens. I don't know. The people that come back on parole who don't have a history of being violent and being overly violent is that middle-of-the-road population that do not reoffend, right? The ones mm-hmm. that do reoffend are those ones that have been in there for 25, 26 years who come out and nothing changes. They come out back to the same environment that they left, and in 20-plus years, nothing's changed. And why is that? How can someone be inside for 27 years, make all these Promises to themselves that they're going to change their behavior, change to fit what's required of them on the outside so they can stay outside, get out, and within 15 minutes or, or two days, reoffend and they're locked back up. What's the problem? What needs to change? I, I think it's when you're on the inside, you sort of develop a plan for when you come home and you just don't expect how hard it'd be to achieve those goals. Like you may be on the inside, you may you may really genuinely feel like, all right, I want to turn my life around. When I get out, I'm going to get a job. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to do whatever I got to do to fly straight. 
But as soon as you come out, it's like it's so hard to find an open door and all the resources that you were given when you were there, when you when you get when you try and find those resources when you finally come home, it's like they were pretty much non existent or not helpful or it's just so much so many criteria that you have to meet that it a lot of things are impossible and I mean I, I can feel how some people just struggle and struggle to do good and just lose hope at some point and but then how do you how do you respond to this black Mina Mira I'm gonna keep calling you Mina just throw something at me <laughs> there's a lot of people out there that struggle from infancy to now and let's say they're 35 mom live in housing he, he or she's lived with mom for the past 25 years in PHA the baddest worst neighborhood the badlands for example West Philadelphia right Never been arrested a day in their life. Struggle and fight all the time. So what you just said belies this person who I'm talking about that's never gone through that and have the same exact struggles. In fact, didn't have the benefit of being locked up for 20-some years, having all these programs shoved down their face, and that person still managed to manages to be within the mix of all that hell and still come out on the other side clean, still struggling, a fight, a struggle to get up and go to work and get what he, he needs to get done every single day. What's the difference? What is it that drives my boy on the left who lives in that drudgery every single day but can make it and my boy on the right that took the easy way out, did his time inside, came out, got frustrated after two weeks, committed a crime and went back in? What is it? Capacity. I mean... What do you mean by that? I mean, like, some people are just not strong enough mentally to fight and and they fall short and that's not just people that been in jail and come home it's people that's out here now that never made it to jail yet hmm. i mean some people are mentally stronger than others this is that question's also for our listening audience what is it do you think that the guy on the left has that the guy on the right hat doesn't have or vice versa there's something there's something organic environmental there's something that we need to be able to draw from the guy on the left who's struggling living in PHA but still manages to not get arrested, stay within the confines of what our, our rules of conduct say. We got to be able to draw from him and turn it over to the guy on the right. We're going to be right back. Renee said concentrate on nah, meatballs. Nah, nah. What's a meatball? That's not a meatball. That's, <laughs> a, that's a note for you. We are going to commercial We'll be right, right back. Spaghetti with that? <laughs>
Welcome back to For the People, Law and Playing Language. That was the theme song from the Jeffersons. I know y'all remember the Jeffersons back from the 70s and the 80s. And on the other side of the break, it wasn't. It didn't say meatballs in the note. I just read it wrong because I don't have my glasses on. <laughs> we are talking about moving on up, returning citizens and their, piece, their slice of the pie. Um, took a whole lot of trying just to get up that hill. Now we're up in the big leagues, getting our turn at bat. Why did I read that? I'm not sure why you did. I'm not sure why you read any of the <laughs> She reads me stuff and highlights it. What am I supposed to up. do? Just look at it. Okay. So, ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about a couple of returning <laughs> citizens who got out, got their piece of the pie, and are maintaining. <laughs> she wrote me, go to hell on the car. <laughs> she just reads everything. Everything just happens on this show, doesn't it? If you want to reach out, if you want to comment, you want to contribute, you want to ask questions, and you not sure how your voice is going to sound in the air, that's all right. You can hit us up on the text line, 215-435-4099. Hit us up on the studio line, 215-609-4301. Email. For the people. On plain language. Okay. For the people at DebraLaw.com. <laughs> <laughs> Facebook, for the people, law and plain language. Tweet us. For FTP Law. And and I just wanted to say the reason why Deborah read that is that she has the lyrics to the song in front of her, and when we were trying to come up with a title for tonight's show, we thought about George and Wheezy and the took a whole lot of trying just to get up that hill. Now they're up in the big league, you know, John Day and Vet. Now um, up in the big leagues. Took a turn at bad. But what? As long as we live, it's you and me, baby. All right, yeah. let's go. So anyway, the question I asked on the other side of the, of the break, and I told our Johnny Come Lately um, guest, ladies and gentlemen, one of the most fabulous, hardest working men in the nonprofit world and otherwise. He just got out of class. John Dye Harrell. Did I say the last name right? I usually mess it up. John Dye Harrell. John Dye, how you doing, buddy? Um, the question I posed, and we had a little bit of a discussion Black and I, because Vet and they were looking at us with wide eyes, like, what are you talking about? Was this. <laughs> the scenario I, I suggested or set up was, there's a young man who lives in Badlands, Philadelphia, West, West Philadelphia. It's one of the sections of Philadelphia, if you're not from Philly. He lives in Philadelphia um, Housing Authority housing. 30 years old, lives with mom. He struggles and fights and earns minimum wage at McDonald's, goes to CCP, which is the Community College of Philadelphia. He's 30-something years old. Never been arrested a day in his life. Graduated high school. Is endeavoring to go through CCP because because mom has no money. He's not going to a four-year school because he doesn't want to get that that loan mess. The other guy, he's also 40. He's 40. Let's say he's 40. He spent the last 18 to 20 years in state prison for having committed some crimes that he committed. His sentence was 10 to 20. He maxed out. He gets out. He's been out for two weeks. He lives in Mount Airy, which is more of a yuppie area of the city with liberal folks, black, white, Spanish, what other. And that's our sort of feel-good neighborhood, right? Did I say that right? Yeah. Our kumbaya sort of neighborhood kumbaya. in Philly, one of our kumbaya yeah, neighborhoods. I, I think the kumbaya sums it up. And he's frustrated. Two weeks out, every time he goes to get a job, the doors are shut in his face. And he says, you know what? Forget this. Pulls out a gun, robs a lady on his street, and goes back to jail. What is it that that 30-year-old has that this 40-year-old doesn't have? And how do we transfer 
what the 30-year-old has to the 40-year-old and others like him and those two so that this 40-year-old can decide to conform his behavior to such a way that he won't keep going to jail. And and I'm asking this question because I find myself when I'm in court making sentencing arguments for my clients. It's getting old to keep saying, oh, his life is bad, oh, his life is bad, oh, his life is bad, because there's a lot of people out there whose lives are bad and they're not committing crimes. So I, I'm, I'm doing this because I'm also trying to learn some stuff from y'all to get some ideas on how to revamp and sort of bring my arguments forward and not keep going back to the old stuff all the time. So, Vet, I'm going to throw this at you. Um, for me, like, one of the most basic things is hope. This, hope the, you get a gun one, to rob somebody. The one, the one that's been out <laughs> has some hope. You know, has a little bit of hope and struggles and every day and fights. The one who's been locked up for 20, 30 years and comes out and continually gets that door slammed in his face, you lose hope. And, and that's motivation. I mean, I heard Deborah's scenario that you have these two different people. Suppose yeah. the scenarios were the exact same, and I really was listening, the exact same man guy, one came out and did something positive or tried to do something positive or tried to make a difference, and I guess less motivation and less hope, um, and the other one went the other way. What was but unique? My, my forty-year-old Mary guy did have hope. He no, hoped he found well, a no, I, 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 I was trying not to. <laughs> hey, I'm taking a finance course here. I'm taking a finance course here, so I'm I'm kind of changing the variables here. So I'm saying to keep it the same for both. In the say, you have the exact same scenario. Both of them from the same neighborhood, same age demographic. One goes one way, and one goes the other way. But we still have to deal with my first scenario before you change. Okay, it. but no, your first scenario. I'm just saying of that first scenario, one did positive, and the other one not so much, because that takes us to John Die and Yvette, and kind of what kind of. And it's not just luck, and it's not just person. Sometimes the universe no. just lines up where you're at the right place at the right time for the right opportunity. To See, be able I don't to make think Venus and Pluto and Saturn have shit to do with this. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> You said the universe lined up. Well, sometimes the universe does have to line oh, up. Man. It's not just luck. It's, it's opportunity. It's right place, right time. But you have but to have all your real. stuff together. But let's be real. It's also about who you are inside. What drives you? What but, makes you? But, that 30-year-old said to himself at some point when he got to the point where he could think about, articulate to himself who he was and what he was about, what he wasn't going to do. And what he said he wasn't going to do, he wasn't going to do something that's going to put him in a position, some negative opportunity, some negative situation, and he did that. This 40-year-old lives in a better neighborhood, right? right Surrounded but, by better but, people. He didn't have that self-respect, that self-preservation, whatever that thing is. Right, but All I'm right, just the rest trying of y'all to keep sitting it. There, right, but no, me. no, no, but I'm just trying to keep it with the theme of this show tonight. Uh, we going there. That, but sticking with your 40-year-old. He didn't go. He he did the right thing. No, he what, didn't do the right thing. Okay, he, which one did the right thing? He the thirty-year-old living in PHA housing right, right, in the Badlands. Okay, right, right, right. He he's doing the right See, thing. See y'all, but she really still, does listen. But he's still mopping floors. <laughs> What's the difference between what he did? 
He didn't, what, uh, he what, didn't do what, anything. What he's doing, trying to still make it out of the project, mopping floors, dead-end jobs, a series of dead-end jobs, and what Vet and John Dye did, kind of how they kind of took that to another level. Well, we're going to go there to them after we get the answer to this question. because in that, I just answered that question. No, you didn't. You did <laughs> some roundabout <laughs> bullshit. I don't know what happened. Listen, hold on for a second. Listen, you hear this? That's that conversation with Renee when she's doing finance because it blows right over my head because I have no idea what the hell she's talking about. I hear you. I do. But I think once we define what John Dye and Yvette can do is define what this 30-year-old has because they have it. That has it. Right, but they... Mira has it. But they also we, we took gotta it put another a level to, from No, we don't want to go there did. yet. We want to go to him. But I'm already there. But we I've wanna, already done the math. But you weren't listening, so that's not fair. You don't just <laughs> jump in and pull it forward. Vet, what is it that this 30-year-old has who's still working at McDonald's, not mopping floors? You know she don't listen. Can you... He still I gave him a promotion. He's still mopping floors. I mean, he's at McDonald's flipping burgers, and he's in CCP getting his... his associate's degree because he's not trying to get that loan mess going on so that's why he's at ccp yvette you obviously have what that 30 year old has what is it what how do you define it motivation uh self-motivation okay and what motivates you when people encourage me like i've had doors that open for me and people say that they want to help um the interview i had with you that was like 12 years ago one yeah that was <laughs> but yeah. you opened the door for me you gave me a chance that's because we had just smoked some weed no i'm just playing I'm just <laughs> john die what but 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 that's what i was talking about sometimes the universe has to line up where you have all the right things that you're doing right but at the same time opportunity presents yourself opportunity is that whole thing when we were growing up and they said you know that when a window opened the door closes or something Excuse but opportunity is there yes the experts said pluto's <laughs> pluto's no longer a planet <laughs> So can the universe align without Pluto? Yes, it can. The universe <laughs> aligns, but but if your crap isn't straight, if you if you're not ready oh for goodness. that opportunity when it comes, how do you know you're not ready, and how do you know you're ready? So have you bettered yourself? Can you read? Can you write? Do you have a resume? Have you learned a skill set? The doors are going to close. The thirty year old has a skill set. He's flipping burgers at McDonald's, and he's at CCP trying to improve. So, yes, he has. So has the 40-year-old. He was locked up for 20 years, right? He got his certification in auto mechanic specialist, let's say. So he came out with skill. What was it that led him to stay out for two weeks? And by the way, this is a real client I have. I'm not just making it up. It is a real client. The 30-year-old also. He wasn't a client. His family members were. What's the difference? But that's my question. At what point do you have a better chance by getting that education in white collar versus blue collar? Okay, Are you going to be more accepted? But some, some of our returning citizens can't get white collar because no one's opening but, the door but, for Right, them. but I'm saying, but the ones that can. I just think that the more positive things you put on your resume, the more you're going to kind of silence some of the other things. So if you don't even have a resume That's because true. you just kind of out there doing cars or just doing whatever. You don't even know what a resume. They don't even use resumes in that trade. But I think if you are going more towards white collar and you have that, that 
degree. You have that education, okay? Vet and John Dye both work for agencies that you got as a result of being a returning citizen. Or am I phrasing that loosely, correctly, maybe kind of? All right, ladies and gentlemen, our producer is making an attempt to segue into our guests, and I'm going there. And I think our routes that we're taking, I'm taking that round the way girl, sister, black sister all the way there. Renee's taking that bougie white collar college bus, but we're still trying to go to the same place, so I'll move along, producer. I get to him. She's no longer being subtle. (laughs) (laughs) So listen, guys, but I think this is a really important dialogue, and I really think that Yvette, Mira, John Dye, and Black embody that which I'm saying that that 30-year-old has that the 40-year-old doesn't. So I'm going to ask each of you, don't be shy, don't be no... and, and be afraid. What is that one thing that motivated you? Vet said when other people motivate her. Mira, what's that one thing that motivates you? But I do have to ask one other thing before they answer. At what point does opportunity not present itself? When you applied for the job at the public defender's office, they had to have an opening. So that's an opportunity. No, they didn't. I just I, I was arrogant. That's the only okay, place I applied. Okay, but still, but there has to be the possibility of an opening. If if you or, had not been to law school, then that would not been that would have been not an opportunity because you didn't qualify for it. That's that's my point. Right. So you put yourself in the position. So when the opportunity opened up, you were qualified for it. All of us have doors in our face. No doubt, returning citizens have more. But what what the rest of us do that I think John Dye and Vet have mirrored is that we make sure that our shit's in order. That we have stuff lined up, that we got the references, we went somewhere and we volunteered or we did something. But I think before you go there, though, that's after you've defined what your journey's going to be. There's some people like Mir and Black that are still defining their journeys. You know what I'm saying? So I don't think we say for those guys who haven't defined their journey yet, you're flatlining. But that's a part of it. That's a part of the planning. Things don't just happen. You can't. There's folks who are not returning citizens who are still waiting to hit it big. One day I'm going to be rich, but what are you doing to get rich? Oh, I'm playing the lottery. Uh, that's not really going to do it. What are you doing to better your situation? What are you directly doing to increase your chances of changing your station, your situation? Staying out of jail. In addition to that, are you going to school? Are you bettering yourself? I hear you. All right, so, John Dye, Yvette said her motivation is people encouraging her. Mira didn't say what her motivation is. I'm asking you. Okay, go ahead. You got to step in there. You know when the producer and I get going, forget about it. Put the mic up to your um, mouth. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Mira. Really say hey, Mira. How you doing? Um, I'm Mira. Um, I can't really say it's one internal, like, it's one thing, but it's like you said, it's like Black said, it's willpower and it's internal because if you don't want it, then you're going to take the easy way out. That's just point blank. That's the end of the story. So like, for me in general, like, I can't say any opportunities were handed to me. Any opportunity that I have, it's because I went out and knocked on the door myself. You know what I'm saying? Well, I don't think that was Vet was saying that opportunity was handed to her. She went to school. She got her. No, I'm not even just talking about her situation, just like you were saying, you know, if opportunities are handed to you. Sometimes no, 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 not. I'm not talking about nothing's handed to you ever. I'm not, I'm not ever talking about anything it's handed true. to you. I'm exactly. saying that right. you are in the position where... Deborah, when she applied for a job, she went there, she went to college, she got her bachelor's degree, she went got her law, so that she was prepared for an opportunity. It's just something, I go somewhere, they have a job opening, oh good, I'm looking for a job, I'm qualified, I'm there. So it's not about anything ever being given to you. Trust me, nothing was ever given to but me. But I think so I what she's saying and what I think you're missing that we're saying is 
when you are a returning citizen, you already have that label. No one, unless you are in that community of folks who are willing to reach out to returning citizens, all doors are closed. Let's be honest. Perfect example. I went to a job interview on Friday for Home Depot, filled out the application, you know, followed all the follow-up procedures that I had to do, went to the interview, aced the interview, you know, the assistant manager loved me, and then they bring up, like Black said, criminal background checks. And, you know, I was supposed to get a call yesterday and I haven't heard from anybody since and I'm pretty sure it's it's a dead end there so you pursue every opportunity that you can but sometimes it, it really doesn't get you anywhere and I could very very easily you know fall back into temptation because I've been out there I've sold drugs I made fast money it was easy you know the money came quick you live that fast life and it's all a matter of willpower are you going to give into that temptation and go back to the easy life or are you going to try to fly straight and I want to fly straight and it's just an in- internal you know strength you have to be internally strong and it's something you have to develop yourself sure other people giving you encouragement can help but at the same time if you don't want it for yourself you're gonna fall off so okay uh, i guess that's where i'm at okay wanting it for yourself i like that and john die what was your motivation my friend well before i go to the issue of uh motivation i'd like to just uh step back for a second and talk about the original question what's the difference between the two people and I think that there are several different factors there. One I think is very important is the level of consciousness. What sort of vices a person has? Um, do they have a sense of personal ethics? I found in my discussions, in my lifetime of, of, of teaching both inside and outside the prison walls that ethics, critical thinking, a sense of social responsibility, a real sense of family is sadly lacking among many people. We talk about a sense of family. What does that really, really mean? You know, we say that, all right, I'm hustling, I'm doing this, I'm robbing to take care of my family. But at what level do you love your family? If you truly love your family, then you're not going to be doing things that's going to take you away from them for long stretches. Unless your family happens to be those groups of folks that are doing the same thing you're doing. Let's be real. A lot of our young boys, their families are their gangs. Their families are their neighborhood boys they hang out with. I agree with you in the in the limits of what you said with respect to your ethics and and, and, and what you've decided who you're going to be. But I think our problem and our challenge today, and I'm going to go back to you in, in, in one second, is trying to help these kids see that need for that ethics and how to define what that family is, whether that family is going to be there for you to help you or be there for you to take you down that long, dark road that you don't want to go to. So I hear what you're saying. I'm just not so sure if that's going to translate for our young kids in 2013. But I I like what you're saying, and I agree with you, making that that, that transition and and communicating this to our young people is, is what concerns me. Then you're talking about socialization and environment. At what point can we create conditions that can liberate guys from their circumstances. I'll give you a real-world example. Um, our organization recently opened a small... And what's your organization? The Center for Returning Citizens. Okay. We opened a small transitional housing program on Kensington Avenue, right below Cambria, which is a very bad neighborhood. All right? And in our apartment and in front of our apartment, you have guys selling drugs. Okay. All right, now... The guy who was selling drugs in the apartment had to leave at the end of the month. But he was still there, and he's still hanging out front. All right? I'm trying to tell him, listen, 
we're doing something positive for the community. So you got to take your business elsewhere. All right. He didn't really want to hear that. But after a while, they moved their business. How much better it could have been if I could have said, listen, instead of doing this, here are other opportunities. You can come work for this company. You can make uh, $15 an hour doing this. We have a training program that will take you and your whole crew and give you alternative employment. That's what we have to focus on. You can't tell guys on a corner to get off the corner if you have no alternatives to give to them. And that's the problem in the city and in many cities across the country. There's no opportunities. Okay. Indeed. And take us to your what motivates you. <laughs> Creating something like this that you see that you're saying and we all know is lacking. Is that what motivates you? The opportunity to do that or what? That's what it seems like. The opportunity to do that, the opportunity to to create real change, a sense of obligation to myself and to my family and those who I love for all the time that I spent away from society, away from them. And a Opportunity to do real things because many times people spend their lives doing things that aren't really real. I mean, it's, it's real in the sense that it feeds their family and it moves them forward, but it doesn't have a impact upon the world we live in. What do you mean it doesn't have an impact? Well, what I'm saying is that on a personal level, you work, you take care of your family, and you impact those who are in your immediate circle. Mm-hmm. But it's a day-to-day grind, and it might be a job that you don't even care about. You're just doing it to move those you love forward. But if you can have a chance, an opportunity to positively impact a community to change lives, change minds, change hearts, to see people going in a different direction, that's invigorating, energizing. It's a whole different level of involvement. But that's... The overwhelming majority of us minorities, we don't have that je ne sais call to want to do that. Most of us just want to survive and thrive in our environment that we're in. I think that enough young people seeing that, that limited activity of thriving and surviving where you're at, it could be infectious and lead us into wanting to do more. But right now, I think that it's too ambitious for us to want to have more people that want to step in and help lead the community at large. We got to concentrate on just thriving and surviving where you're at, right? If you start there, then everything else can can expand, right? Well, I think your sights have to be a little higher. I mean, it's it's like. Um, but how realistic is that for us? Though? Well, I, I guess the question goes back to um, when I thought about putting this show together. I thought about John Dye and Vet, who are, are kind of doing some wonderful things. Um, they're not making millions of dollars, but they have kind of been the right place the right time with the right opportunity to take advantage of to have the positions that they have to be able to go back to school to not just be struggling as the car mechanic or that person working at McDonald's so I think that that's just a different route I mean a lot of times we talk about returning citizens and a lot of them are trying to get minimum wage jobs or jobs that there's no training involved or something that's that's cashier or unfortunately that's all that's available to them Vet made her. Well, we're going to hear about Vet and John Dye's journey, and I don't want to spend too much time not getting there because we are running out of time. But I don't want people to, to take away from this show that returning citizens are all going to find themselves getting their pie to the way that John Dye and Vet's getting their pie. In my estimation, and I'm going to ask all of us in here, all the panels to say, getting your piece of pie to me 
as a returning citizen is getting that mundane job while you're on probation, while you're on pro- parole, and making that plan that John Dyan and, and Yvette have made getting there. And, and, and right, so I don't want to forget about plan. them either, though. Right. I don't want to forget about right. those and, and, folks And I'm talking either. about okay. the plan. It's all about a plan. I mean, okay. neither one of these folks, I, I don't think they're going to say that. No, it wasn't a plan. It just fell on my lap. It just, you know, I was just looking one day. Everything that I have right now which just fell into my lap. There was no hard work. There was no plan. There was no struggle. I'm not saying that at all. And that's, okay. and that's the point. I that just I'm want to make to sure to. that we, just we, 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 okay. <laughs> so let's start. I think we know, well, Renee and black and I know vet's journey because we, she worked with us and she's part of our family. Right. We know John Dye's journey because we've talked to him and, and heard from him. So we're going to go to John Dye first really quickly. Brother John, Dye, tell us a little bit about your journey as it started and where you went through and how you landed where you're at now. Well, actually, my journey started about a year after I was incarcerated. Um, when was, were you incarcerated? In 1992. How much time did you spend total incarcerated? Um, 18 years straight. I had a 20-year sentence. I did 18 years straight. So after the first year, it took me about a year to get my mind together and to realize that in the Fed, you're going to do 85% of your time, and you're going to do that full 18. And how are you going to do that? So from that point on, I began to plan for my return to the world. So t- t- literally over a 17-year period, I did things that were necessary to move me forward. And what kind of things did you do? I went to school. I, I t- t- studied. I taught. Um, I t- educated myself. And I worked on aspects of my character that, I, that after self-analysis, I saw were lacking. So, but in order for you to have begun that sort of transformation as you've just described to us, you had to have something already innate in you, right? Something was already there, right? How do we offer then? How do we translate that? How do we offer then this, that thing that was innate in you to these young folk out there so they can look inside themselves and see if they have that? Well, everybody has qualities and characteristics inside of themselves that are that are of value. It's convincing people that they possess it and then giving them the tools to do self-introspection. Okay. So you did your 18-year planning for your return to the world. What was the first thing you did when you returned to the world? Very first thing. You remember? The very first thing? Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the second thing. <laughs> the second thing. <laughs> well, um... I had a very intense uh, job search. It was very, very difficult. Um, I had earned an associate's degree while I was inside. I was in a halfway house situation that was uh, very detrimental to my mind and to my spirit. I didn't have common sense. And it was very difficult for me to find a job. So the first thing I had to do was lower my sights and, as Renee said, take a very mundane job that was far beneath my abilities just to sustain myself and move me forward. But I never stopped looking for that situation that was going to enable me to step out of circumstances that I felt were temporary to something real and permanent. Okay. And as you sit here today, how close are you to that real and permanent situation? Or are you there now? Well, um, in a sense, I'm there now. My my first job was was in a warehouse doing just, you know, ordinary work. I moved from that to a job as a house manager for a Godensian company, which was a step up and enabled me to develop um, more skills. I went from that to being a, a counselor. 
I went from a, a counselor to being a a service coordinator, social worker. Um, I got my bachelor's degree. I'm in a master's degree program now. I'm definitely moving forward. I'm still not making as much money as I want to make, but I'm fairly comfortable and I'm able to do the things necessary for myself and my family to put money aside and live. So, yeah, I'm, I feel like I'm doing, for being home for three years, I think I'm doing very well. And that's pretty amazing. You've been home for three years? That's it? I came home right. um, and he has a September non-profit. 2009. He has a nonprofit as well. And that's awesome. Silence cricket. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was playing back what um, John Day was saying, and I didn't mean to embarrass you with the first thing you did back. I, I kind of <laughs> meant to check that and make sure I was saying it correctly. Trust me. So I think everything that you've said thus far is pretty amazing. But my fear is that the vast majority of the folks returning back they need to find that time and that reason, if you will, to want to look inside themselves and figure out what their plan is. Whether they're in a state prison doing three and a half to, to seven years, 18 to 36 years, or up on State Road here in Philadelphia or any other county jail doing 60 days or six months, right? The vast majority of returning citizens, are, I don't think, are going to have that personal commitment that you had. They're not going to have, and if they have it, right, they, there's no one that's been around them that told them you do have this, sit back, shut up, be still, listen to yourself. So how do we address those folks? Well, I mean, and the, what, the point that I was making earlier was the journey that John and I took, it's no different or it's kind of parallel to folks who are not returning citizens. At some point, if you do not do college the traditional way you didn't i didn't and even folks that do i mean now our daughter went college the traditional way and it took her a while and she has one okay so half 25 job. years no i'm just playing it took, it took she, she has a <laughs> fairly decent job but then she works two bullshit jobs because you know her tastes are up here and her money's down here but even folks like us who did not take that traditional job at some point we had to stop along the way numerous times and go okay i'm not where i want to be how do I get there? What do I have to do? It's, it's, right. it's taking that stock. So that is a message. It's not saying, na 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 boo boo this is what we did, but it's saying this is a real thing that whether you're returning citizens, the ones who have made it to the other side, they're mirroring what folks who were not returning citizens. I mean, we're not always, no matter what you have, you're not always satisfied, which is why folks go back to school at all ages of their life where they take other jobs or whatever they do, that at some point they're taking stock with, this is what I have. This is what I want. What route can I take to get there? Or if I don't know, who can I talk to to find out? What can I read? What can I do to get there? Okay. Within the law. I hesitated for a minute, and not for the reasons <laughs> that you all think. <laughs> You're listening to For the People, Law and Playing Language on www.gtimeradio.com. G-Time, the what? The from Germantown. We're talking about moving on up, returning citizens, getting a piece of the pie. For I'm sure. being my usual self and trying to stir the pot, and I'm stirring the pot because the producer's cutting her eyes at me and going to choke me in a minute. <laughs> so, Yvette, we heard the journey a little bit about um, John Dye's 18-year or 20-year um, travel and his voyage. Yours was almost a 20-some-year voyage, too, except just not all of it was in a jail cell, but it was in the confines of your addiction. Is that a fair that's, assessment? That's fair. And, during, and, and so tell us a little bit about your flailing, if you will, during that 20-year substance, um, that prison of substance. That's exactly what it was, like flailing. I, I, was, I, was, a, I was captive. You know, drugs, drugs were everything to me. So motivation to go to school, get a job, 
No, I had none. My only desire was to get high. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. Drugs ain't free. No. So I pay for it. Mm. Okay. <laughs> 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 kind of what like John Dye did when he mm. came back, but more than one time, huh? Mm. Yeah. Okay. All right. So as you sit here today, Yvette, as I asked John Dye the same question, are you, how far are you as you sit here today from that which you envisioned for yourself once you got clean and your mind got clear of that drug fall? Say that, say that one more time. Are you, how close are you to, to your dream as you sit here today? I can, I can sit here and say that if seven years ago, eight years ago, if you told me that I would be sitting here right now in the position that I'm in, I wouldn't believe you. So what's the position that you're in? The position is now is that I'm in college. I've been at the same job for over seven but years. But I, I have to go back to the college. She's just damn playing the college. <laughs> I got a little document here from Chesney Hill College where she is enrolled as a bachelor master's candidate. And again, she made dean's list. Again. Again. Outstanding. So it's not just I'm in college. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. And and like I said, if eight years ago, if you told me that I would be in the situation that I'm in today, I wouldn't have believed you. Um, and I have to agree with Mira that it, there's an internal, there's something internal that drives you. I had to I had to make some changes. The person that I was for those 27 years is not the person who I am today. No doubt, no doubt. Um, when when, yeah. when Renee and I first met Yvette, we had just opened my office maybe two weeks, and we were in the JFK building, my small little six-by-six six office. <laughs> when, when Yvette came, she came dressed to the nines. She had a dress on, a suit jacket, st- pantyhose and some shoes. Renee and I were sitting down in jeans or something, putting furniture together. And because my office was so small, we had the door open. And, and the Yvette, furniture was so big. And Yvette sat out in the hallway and we <laughs> interviewed her. Well, you know, initially because Jennifer was there, we were like, all right, so should we take her up to the conference room? But I was putting this huge credenza, some piece of furniture, because we had just opened up and some of the furniture was still coming in. So, you know, when you put a large piece of furniture together, you kind of have the whole floor. And we're going to go up to the conference room, and Deb was like, I'm tired. She might as well see us as we are. Those of y'all know me, I'm always real. So see us. He's like, nope, don't take her up there. Just bring her on in. And as we interviewed her, the one thing about her that struck me was even with her nervousness and being a little intimidated by what she saw, you could see a light in her eye. I don't know if she had saw it at that point, but that's what I saw in her. And I think and it was back hunger. To, she was hungry. And I think back to when I when we met Black for the first time, and we met Black in county prison. We heard her present her piece that she did for this program she was in. And Renee and I immediately looked at one another and zeroed in on her because we saw the look in the eye and we saw the hunger. And it's amazing to think back now to where all of us are, this sort of circle. So, I, I, you know, I can't keep on picking on Renee about the universe because it did line up a little bit. <laughs> Even though Pluto ain't no planet, it did line up. <laughs> so what I want to say as I sit here today, ladies and gentlemen, if you have questions and you want to reach out to Yvette or to Jundai or to Black or to Mira and you don't want to share it in this open sort of forum, we're going to ask them to provide contact information. Or, so or instead of putting it out there like that, except for Jundai who has a business email, I don't, want, I don't like women to put their stuff out there. So they can always send it care of for the people. They can mail it to your office and it will stay closed, but I'd rather them not have their personal information put out there. If they have an email that they want to put out, they can. Or sure. you can email sure. for the people at sure. deborainlaw.com. 
Um, Jandai, tell us about your nonprofit. My nonprofit is called the Center for Returning Citizens, and it's at uh, 1501 Cherry Street in the Friends Center downtown at uh, 15th and Cherry, uh, Suite 330, uh, third floor. And what we do there is uh, we assist returning citizens with all aspects of the journey. Um, the first thing we do is resume building and trying to find a job. That's the most important thing. Unless you have money in your pocket, you aren't able to function and you aren't able to move forward. Are there jobs out there right now in the city for returning citizens? Well, the jobs are tough, but we've had some success. Um, I got a brother a job today um, on a construction crew. Um, a sister got a job at a uh, restaurant. Uh, every day we're out. We have um, two job specialists, and I'm working as hard as possible to find jobs. And, and we're having success. I'm not going to say. The business card says the Center of Returning Citizens is dedicated to a smooth reentry, reconnection to family and community, employment assistance, workshops, counseling, peer support, and success. I have to say, since I've known Jundai, he's been and is one of the most amazing people I've ever met. He does a full time job and he does this nonprofit full time. So he's got 750 grandbabies. He's just a busy man. And he's in a master's program full time. And Yvette, I'm sure all of y'all remember her when she was on here in her master's, bachelor's dual program. Yvette, tell us about the, um, if you can, who you work for and what you do for them, because I called you a resource guru. Oh, I, I work for an organization called the Consumer Satisfaction Team, and we are contracted by the Be Department of Behavioral Health to do quality assurance for our CBH, BHSI, and uh, what's County, CBH? Philadelphia funded. A, B, C, D, E, yeah, F, G. Philadelphia funded <laughs> um, individuals. Uh, we visit sites all over the city, ranging from from child and adolescence. Like I've been to sites where I, I've I've actually interviewed like three year olds, all the way up to geriatric inpatient. So, so when you say yeah. quality assurance, your job is to ensure that the agency is doing what it says it's supposed to do for its consumers. Is that right? Right, and the way we find that out is we document what the individuals say. That's pretty awesome. So that means you know every resource in this county and beyond. Is that right? Well, I wouldn't say every resource. But, but you know how to tell them, turn them on to it. Is that right? Yes. That's pretty amazing. And I, I just have a question here. So did your job hire you as a returning citizen and they knew your history? Well, they didn't hire me specifically because I was a returning citizen. I'm sorry, say um, that again, because you were? Be they didn't hire me specific based on the fact that I was a returning citizen. But my organization is unique in that they hire individuals who receive behavioral health services. Hmm. And at the time, I was receiving behavioral health services. Wow. Or they hire uh, family members of individuals who receive behavioral health and services. And what qualifies as behavioral health mm, services? Substance abuse, mental okay. health. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. And by CBH, for those of you that aren't Pennsylvania or Philadelphia affiliated, it is the... Community Behavioral Health. And it is a city agency or state. Is it city or state, CBH? It's actually... This is um, where Medicaid comes in. Okay. So, so it's a nonprofit for the city and, and money through the state and the federal government, right? Okay. So my That's other question becomes, so your... Your returning, your status as a returning <laughs> citizen didn't have a bearing for them. Wasn't a bearing for them. Well, it came up in the interview. Okay, you brought it up. They and brought I it just up. knew. I already knew. <clears throat> you know that feeling. 
when everything's you said it everything's going great close your eyes take us back to the interview yeah, and, and, everything's going great i interviewed with the executive director the deputy the deputy director and the supervisor um all at once and when they asked me about my criminal background what i learned from being being um at that time in reentry what they called reentry was to be honest. Um, things turned out very differently than what I anticipated that they were because I found out that they hire ex-offenders, hmm. what did returning you citizens. So you assumed just because they asked you about their background they were, that the door was going to close and you weren't going to get the job. I just I I felt that I was going to be rejected. Okay. You know, and so that's why I say when people encourage you and people give you hope and they open a door for you. Um, that was like enough to give me motivation to move forward. So before you got this job that you have now, were there other doors slammed in your face that you applied for jobs and didn't get because of your um, criminal background? Actually, no. That, actually, that was the first interview I had in six years. Wow. That's pretty amazing. And when you so, came to us, so you um, you were at New Directions, and oh. Carolyn called the uh, had you executive been director. A resident at New Directions when mm-hmm. you came to see us. Mm-hmm. Right. How long had you been finished? I was uh, I was there for twelve months. But when you came to see us, you how long had you been done? I finished done? a month afterwards. Wow. No, no, I was already finished. Yeah, I was <laughs> already finished. Yeah. We had a show about New Direction. It's a uh, um, alternative to prisons program here in Philadelphia County, run by Carolyn Stewart. Carolyn, what's up? I'm going to email you, by the way. I forgot. And, and Carolyn called Deborah and said, because um, Deborah had done some pro, some work with them at the defendant's office and some pro bono work, and um, said, hey, Deborah, how you doing? What's going on? Have a returning citizen for a citizen or someone. Now, should they have someone who's uh, paralegal? She's a go-getter. Can you at least interview and see what you can do for her? Right. And Deborah's response was... As long as she don't, what she say? As long as she don't steal something or something, she says. Something she she says, asked me if I would, like are you going to steal from me? <laughs> <laughs> How many questions did I ask you, honestly, was, during like the interview? Three. And what that were was, they? That was one of them. I remember exactly <laughs> what I said to you. My first question to you was what? What did you do? Do you remember me asking you that? I don't remember all three. I just remember that one question. <laughs> and, my, and that wasn't really a question. That was a statement. I said, I like you. I like you. You look like you worth taking the risk on. Carolyn recommended you. My only requirement is don't you steal from me. And that was in 2008. No. No, that was 2000. And we had what? just opened the office. Yeah. It was 2008. Wow. It was. And, and she five started years off ago. as an unpaid intern. Started yeah, off as an unpaid intern. That was five intern. years ago. You, yeah, you came to right. us less than. We hadn't even been open a month. I remember. Because I remember looking at you saying, what the hell she want? Huh, we'll see. So anyway, I want folks that are listening to know that know and be encouraged by Jundai and Yvette's stories. Unfortunately, as we are in 2013 in this real world, there's there's not enough stories like theirs. In other words, their stories are those special, unique cases. Thankfully, though, Jundai's organization exists and Yvette's resources are out there so that stories like Yvette's and John Dye's can start becoming the norm, right? And we don't keep having people like Black and Mira who are still on that planning stage and trying to get themselves to where they're starting to realize their dreams and their aspirations. We don't have much time left. Black, you're trying to get to where 
Yvette and Jundai are now? What's that one question you asked both of them? Um, my one question would be, how do you stay encouraged when everything starts to fall apart? Well, I think one thing you have to do is, um, if you're talking about a a a job, a job search, we're talking about a, everything or a life at the same time, a life plan. life job, okay. everything. Well, you pick up the phone and you call Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We do encourage. Yeah. What if you don't have a phone? All we right. do encourage and counsel. <laughs> you send me and Renee an email or a text. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jenny. I think you have to first set your sights on what you want to do and, and find an opportunity. When I applied at Godenzia, the reason I applied there is because I, I had researched the company and I knew that there were companies where my background would be an asset instead of being a detriment. Wow. They embrace ex-offenders, ex-addicts, and they view employees who have those backgrounds as employees who could really relate to their clients. And so for me to walk into that environment with my vast experience behind the wall, opened that door up to me immediately. Had I not known that, I'd have been knocking on the door trying to convince somebody to give me a chance who had no intention of hiring me. It's one thing you do is you got to do your research. Until you got to believe in yourself. I mean, you have great skills. Phenomenal skills. I've been here before, listen to you rap, you know, and just your, your whole persona is just fantastic. Unless you believe in yourself and the validity of how you want your life to evolve, how can you hope to convince someone else to give you that opportunity or help you move forward. Wow, that's powerful. That's powerful. Yeah, yeah okay. that's true. And that's the reality. And I just have, I have a question for both Black and I mean for John Dye and Vet, and Vet. What do you think with Gardenzia and with consumer satisfaction, what do you think was worth things? I don't want to say one thing. What do you think were the top maybe three things that aided you in getting that position? One, I was ready for the position, and I was, I was so confident that when I went in, in the course of my first interview, it shifted from this is what the job is supposed to be to this is what you'll be doing once you start the job. Okay. Okay. I mean, and, and I felt like my influence on my interviewer was that great wow. because I was so confident in, in what I was saying and so secure in who I was and what I could do that he immediately felt that and, and was just, that flow was established. That. And for me, it was, um, I took the time while I was in residential treatment to go back to a vocational school. Um, at, that pit, at that time period, there were a lot of um, programs available for people who were reentering, and I took advantage of them. One of them was the at the time the mayor's office for reentry. They offered a lot went to of the things. same program. Um, I went. I went to OIC to refresh What's my OIC? office of industrial mm. opportunities. Cent- something central is something. Yeah. It's uh, a long time Philadelphia institution. There, it's at Broad and Gerard. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, in Philadelphia. Right, and the instructor oh, and I to this day we become we become really really good friends. Um, she's actually the one who set up the interview for me at CST. 
So, so for both of you, did those, did that training that you got from various places, did that, did that help in your confidence as far as going for the interview? Personal confidence, self-esteem as far as going in there, knowing that I'm a returning citizen, so that's a stigma that's maybe pushing you down. You know, we have these battles with ourselves or, or, or um, what am I trying to say? They're all looking at me, and I'm just waving my hands. Because she's waving her hands. She has a yo, it's more than it's more than just that stigma. It's it was it was the fact that for for so many years I held my head down. I could not look anybody in the eye. I did. I couldn't look at myself in the mirror. Right. Hmm. You know, I I felt so bad inside. My spirit was broken, Um, and that program taught gave me the skills and and taught me. How to interview, how to develop a resume. The, yeah, there was a lot of blank spots, <laughs> but I had to start somewhere. Right. So we're running out of time. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you guys to know we're going to keep this conversation going. We're going to talk to our producer about having several of these. And I think that even if we can come to you somewhere out there, you have a nonprofit, you want to have a roundtable, and we have a sort of a a roundtable mixture of returning citizens at various stages of their journey back to that full citizenhood. I would encourage all of you to put in your browser that bill that I was talking about that um, Brother Thomas Ford and his people were putting together, the Bill of Rights for Returning Citizens. Brother John Di Harrell, Yvette, thank you guys for coming. You guys each get three words to throw out there to our listeners and to those of us here in the studio. Words of encouragement. Three. Go, Vet. What are your three Don't words? Don't give up. There you go. Go, go John Dye. Well, I would like to... S- Actually, I have more than three words. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I saved you for last. I'd like to send folks to my website. It's uh, www.tcrcphilly.org. T C as in Charlie, R as in Romeo, C as in Charlie, dot O-R-G. Philly.org. Oh, my bad. TCRPhilly.org. TCRPhilly.org. Go on to the website. See what we're trying to do. Give us a call. We have all sorts of workshops, counseling, peer support groups. If you need a job, if you just need a listening ear, give us a call at 215-305-8793. Cool. What's your three words to, three words to throw out there? Don't give up. That's what I like. At this time, like every show, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be um, graced by the skills of our in-house poetess, Sister Black. Sure. You sure want me to do a job interview? All right. Um, you were listening last week. You heard his poem last week, but this week it's just, it just fits the atmosphere so correctly. <laughs> um, I'm going to just get into it. Fresh out the pen, trying to turn things around. My PO said I needed a job, so I stumbled across something I found, and I gave him a call. They said coming for an interview first thing tomorrow. So I'm like, damn, I need something to wear. You know, I started skitzing because I got to look, I got to smell, I got to be the position. I'm up all night, then I'm tripping on my way to the building. When I get there, everything looked very appealing. So I walked in. I said, hi, I'm here for a job. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm the best you got. She said, whoa, slow down. You got to fill out an act. Give it back and someone to call you to the back. So I started filling it out till I got to that question. Have you ever been convicted of a felony? Now, y'all know that messed with my pride. But I checked yes because I got nothing to hide. 
I turned it in and I got called on in. I'm thinking, what I'm going to say, man, where shall I begin? I get to the back. I say, hi, I'm here for a job. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm the best you got. She said, well, Miss Birch, you seem pretty enthused. Let's look over your application and see what you can do. She started reading it over till she got to that question. She saw I checked yes and changed her expression. She said, Miss Birch, this looks good and all, but let me see what we have and we'll give you a call. I said, wait, hold on. I ain't got no phone. And I've been waiting for this interview all night long. And if you give me the chance to stand, I will not fall. She looked up and she smiled. She said, I'll give you a call. But miss, listen, I just got released from jail where I lived in a four by four foot cell. You have no clue the things I've been through. I've been stripped of everything down to the strings in my shoes. No, no belts, no wires in your bras. And every time I get a visit, I got a squat, I got a cough. And I finally got out, and I wanted to cry. And my PO said all, all I had to do was find me a job. So I'm going to tell you one last time that I'm here for a job, and damn it, lady, I'm the best you got. She looked up at me, her eyes like two balls of fire. She said, congratulations, Miss Birch, you're hired. Wow. All of you out there, sure. be encouraged. If you are a returning citizen, we love you. We respect you. So do the rest of us. They just need to learn how to show it. You win. Be encouraged. Strive. Like Yvette, like Jundai said, don't give up. Thanks for listening. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening for the people, law in plain language. I'm looking at my producer trying to tell me how much time I got left. She <laughs> Oh, no. You are done. Hands. You are he done. Said it is so a wrap. Before we wrap. go, we want to make sure those of you out there, make sure you reach out to John Dye. www.tcrcphilly.org. The Center for Returning Citizens. Put it in your browser, ladies and gentlemen. John Dye, Yvette, thank you so much for sharing. Mira Black, thank you. Say bye, fam. Bye bye. Holla. presented on For the People is provided as general legal information. The general legal information is intended to inform consumers is not intended to substitute for specific legal advice as it relates to the listener's specific legal issue. Consumers are cautioned not to rely on the general legal information broadcast on For the People as legal advice. No attorney-client relationship is created, intended, or implied between the consumers of For the People and Deborah Rainey Esquire, the compassionate lawyer, or the law office of Deborah D. Rainey. Please consult with an attorney for your specific legal issue.